This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Lisa Miller, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation very much. Most of you will know that Lisa is a journalist and TV presenter who is currently a host of ABC TV's News Breakfast. She worked for a decade as ABC Bureau Chief in London and Washington, covering global affairs. She won the Walkley Award in 2005 for investigative reporting. Lisa's written a memoir, a daring memoir, and that's in the title. It's called Daring to Fly, about her experiences as a foreign correspondent and her fear of flying. I thought it was a really deep honest book is what Thank I thought. Thank you, Cheryl. I I appreciate that because it is it makes you feel very vulnerable, doesn't it, to write something and share something that you've only talked about within your family. And especially over the last few years when I really felt things melting down around me. But I thought I can't write this book if I'm not honest. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that. Um, people often say to me that I'm too opinionated, right? And they'll say things like, you know, but you, we shouldn't know what your opinion is. Well, I'm not a journalist. So <laughs> you might have to follow a journalist to get somebody that's not <laughs> opinionated. And then I look at journalists and I, I follow the news. I follow local news and I follow international news, particularly US news. And those of you that listen to the podcast regularly would know that. But I am in awe of journalists and how they do, because we are all human. Do they really stay independent? Do they really not get involved in their stories? I mean, talk to me about that. Look, I think one of the stories that I couldn't not be involved in, Cheryl, is one that I talk about in the book, which is the Sandy Hook school shooting Uh, when those little primary school kids were shot in 2012 and that deeply affected me. And how do you walk away from covering a story like that and being in that town and meeting the parents down the track and not become something of a gun advocate because there are still so many people in America who believe that they have the right to guns and the right to semi-automatics and and I just thought no and so that was a subject that I felt pretty comfortable actually taking aside and Mm -hmm. so we ended up doing a bigger story on foreign correspondent about that Mm -hmm. but it look it is really hard I mean you know what's actually been harder is me now having to have an opinion on breakfast Mm -hmm. television because Mm -hmm. they want me to say oh, that's crap. Oh, he should have gone to prison. Outrageous. I mean, we had it just this morning, in fact, with the uh, one of the NRL players who'd held oh, yeah. the party during COVID. And I felt pretty happy just saying, well, 
I hope they had a good party because now they're facing the consequences and so they should because it happens too often that people don't face consequences. Mm -hmm. And even when I was saying it, I thought, oh, this is almost freeing that I can have (laughs) an opinion and I can voice it. But look, I mean, I have taken pride over the last 30 years of being a journalist of keeping a pretty straight line on Mm -hmm. most subjects and allowing listeners and readers and viewers to make up their mind. I just want to make sure they're getting the right information. It really bothers me when I feel like people are getting information from the wrong sources. So Mm. that's been my sort of ambition. Take me back to why you became a journalist. Take me right back. (laughs) Because I discovered at the age of seven, I was a very good interviewer. (laughs) You did? I used to sing the ABC News theme and interview my little sister and the poor thing, because every time she would try to answer a question, I would just cut her off. Mm-hmm. And Cheryl, I've just found an audio tape, a cassette tape of wow. me interviewing my dad when oh. I was nine. And we're getting really deep. We're talking about the Moscow Olympics in 1980. Oh, wow. And then I ask him about World War II. And you hear this squeaky little voice. And then I say, okay, Clary, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> About Berlin, when um, the war happened over there, uh, what was really the cause of that Talking when the, the Olympic Games were, I mean, oh, when I see. are was, over there? No, that was big pre-World War II. In 1936, the Olympic Games were held in Berlin. We'd better stop there, Clary. Thanks, anyway. I think, I think we're running out of time. <laughs> Even when I was nine, even when I was nine, I was wrapping up people. I was destined to wrap people up. (laughs) How did you find it? Look, because I had moved around so much and because mum and dad had a lot of boxes and they passed away over the last few years, um, there were things that just hadn't been dived into and I found it and I've got it here in an envelope and I found a machine at the ABC that was able to play it for me. And I couldn't believe it when I discovered what was on it. And it was so special also to hear Dad's voice and to know that even at that age he was trying to educate me. And when I wrapped him up and said, okay, Clary, that's enough, he said, well, if I never come back, it'll be too soon. (laughs) And were they, what was his occupation and what was your mother? Well, Dad and Mum were dairy farmers until I was a young child and then he went into federal politics. Uh, So I had a a split life and I've got much older brothers and sisters who grew up being the children of dairy farmers and they worked really hard on the farm Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they kept telling me and my younger sister how hard they worked. Talk about waking up early. It's in your genes. (laughs) Yeah, well, except my younger sister and I didn't really have to do that. So uh, there's a big gap in the ages. So my three older siblings were born. Then there was a 14-year gap. Oh, wow. Me and my younger sister came along. And uh, same parents, although they they said at the time that, you know, they were a whole lot older and weren't quite sure what was going to happen with two two new daughters. But Dad went into politics in the mid-'70s. So I was surrounded with that atmosphere of you always listen to the news Mm -hmm. and it was something that if the ABC came on, we had to be quiet and respectful of what you were hearing. And then I would watch people interview dad as well. And so honestly, from that period, I can't remember a time Mm -hmm. when I wasn't 
wanting to be a journalist. So you studied journalism? I did at Queensland University. I did Mm -hmm. a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism and Economics. And then in the third year, everyone was going off to do work experience and I realised I hadn't organised anything. I was such a country girl, Cheryl. I really was. I was so naive when I look back on it and very young. I'd been very protected as well by mum and dad. And so I went home to Gympie for the (laughs) university holidays and uh, the Gympie Times employed me. And uh, it happened quite suddenly because they had a cadet who had a fight with the editor and he stormed off to the pub across the road and I happened to be there. And so I got a job and that's how I started. Mm. So tell me about your gig. I want to, so when you went overseas, who were you working for? I was working for the ABC. So I've worked for the ABC since 1993 now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I started in North Queensland in Townsville, yeah. and then I went to Canberra, back to Brisbane, a bit of time in Sydney. But the the postings have been the absolute highlight for me. So I did two postings in America. I went over at the end of 2001, just after September 11, the attacks, and I spent three years there. And then I came back to Australia for a few years, and then I went back to America and then to London. Okay, so talk to me about your first time post-September the 11th. I'm a big fan of the United States. I follow the politics closely, as I think I said earlier, but also I have friends there, so I visit a couple, well, pre-COVID, I used to visit a couple Mm. of times a year. So I've been to New York a few times and to San Francisco, the West Coast, a few times. And I feel very often that the only thing we've got in common is language. Do you feel that? And even that, Tell me that. even yeah. that is debatable, Cheryl. Isn't it? I, and I think it shocks us all because haven't we grown up with mm-hmm. Sesame Street and mm-hmm. American TV series and you go over there and all of a sudden they're walking on the other side of the sidewalk mm-hmm. and you are completely thrown. It's something so simple, just which side of the road. And, you know, oh, the tipping, going to the hairdresser. Well, all pounds, the, wait. Oh, you just know, all like gallons, things that, inches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I love America. I do love America, but I found it constantly throwing up conflicting approaches and making me feel that, what's the way to say it? It made me feel like what you thought was right was wrong and, and what was wrong was right. And you'd spend a lot of time trying to work out what Americans really meant, even when they would be so wonderfully opening and welcoming, that sometimes you think, actually, that's superficial. I realise now that when you say, we should do lunch, that actually you don't want to do lunch. So it it got to sort of having to be a bit of a translator for my life in America. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I went back to do the second posting, I was so excited because I thought, I'm not going back as a foreigner now. I feel so much more comfortable with the country that I'm going to live Mm. in. So tell me, what did you report on first? What were you doing? So did you report on the the effects of what happened? Well, my very first story I remember was airstrikes in Afghanistan that uh, George W. Bush had ordered the first airstrikes on the Taliban. And from there, you can imagine, it Mm. was, I mean, it was a a posting that was dominated by Osama bin Laden. It was dominated by standing outside the United Nations at two o'clock in the morning, doing live crosses to the ABC back in Australia, having 
icicles grow off your eyelashes because it was so cold. So and cold. this, you know, the, the as you spoke, you'd watch the camera just disappear in the steam because you'd you'd be heating it up. And it was also one of the first stories I did as well was to go to Guantanamo Bay because we got this call from the international editor who said hey, there's an Australian apparently at Guantanamo Bay. Like he's just arrived, his name's David Hicks. We need to get you down there. And, you know, we rocked up and this was really early days when they were still flying in detainees from Afghanistan. They had them in the orange jumpsuits. And so we just sat on the tarmac watching these massive planes fly in from the other side of the world. And I'm walking around just talking to Marines, US Marines saying, has anyone seen the Australian? Has anyone seen the Australian? I mean, can you imagine that mm. happening in the US now? Well, was it, that was such a time of madness, wasn't mm. it? After 9-11, it was so, everybody, if you ask most Australians, they wouldn't know the difference between the Afghan war and what happened. And, and the, the war in Iraq. Yeah. yeah. And the terrorists. And, attack. well, and for a lot so- of Americans, they were confused as well because they were being told that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and both of those big debates just became one. They mm. were chasing Osama bin Laden. It was also your own physical safety was in doubt still because there were constant alerts every day. We lived by the uh, security alerts that would determine whether it was an orange day or a red day, meaning another attack was imminent. Our office was in New York, in in DC. So our office was in DC, sorry, yeah, but we would constantly be on the train up and back to New York. Yeah, You got used to... Because the United Nations is in New York. Yeah, Yeah. so you'd just get used to having sniffer dogs constantly around you all the time. There was a time, Cheryl, when they were worried that someone was going to set off a dirty bomb and we all had instructions to cover our windows with plastic tarp in the office in case a dirty bomb went off because we were a few blocks from the White House. And I spoke to my husband at the time about what would happen if there's another attack, where will he go because the phone systems will go down, how are we going to communicate? So we're living and working on a story that was happening while we were there, you know, so it was very unsettling at times. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, God, I can imagine unsettling a lot. So talk to me about fear. Like, because there is, journalists are often in that situation. So you're talking about 
I'm, I'm sure post-traumatic stress is probably prevalent. It's just that no one's diagnosed it in the industry, right? Oh, they've diagnosed it for quite have a few they? people. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And, and quite a few of my friends have been mm. very open about that. I've mm. not ever suffered from it because I think it's very important to be clear about the what the actual diagnoses are for post-traumatic stress. Oh, it's because stress. it's so serious, isn't mm. it? So talk to me about fear. Do you think that we kind of fear is like filling up a bottle? We just keep taking it and taking it and taking it until it overflows. Like what was your experience? Because when you're young, you kind of fearless, right, aren't you? Well, I think so. I, I yeah. don't remember being fearful until, Even in that circumstance? Uh, well, I was unsettled. Right. But I also, one of the things that I've had to correlate in my mind is that even when I have been fearful, I have always just cracked on with the job. I've never mm. not done an assignment because I was scared to go into something. And there have been plenty of times when I have felt I probably should be more fearful than I was. Mm. Um but I didn't really know fear until I was living in North Queensland. I was 24 years old. I was the reporter in Townsville. And that's when I was in a light aircraft that the engine stalled in the middle of a storm. And that was the start. That day was the start of my relationship with fear and me trying to understand then what that was all about. Because I, I got up the next day and I got on another plane. You know, I was sort of like, mm, that wasn't very nice, but I'm okay about it. But then over a period of a decade, it became something that just absolutely gripped me so hard. And when people say to me they have a fear of flying, I really feel for them. And I say, I've been there. I would be so fearful that if you told me I was getting on a 737 from Brisbane to Sydney, for days beforehand, I would be vomiting and having diarrhea because at the thought that I was going to die. But here's the thing then, Cheryl, I'm sure the psychologists will have lots of time to think about all of this is I still did it. I still got on the plane. I never let fear stop also, me doing, you doing it. Also, things that were way scarier than that. that yeah, yeah. so that was that was early on. So then, yeah. but then when I got over the fear of flying and I made a very conscious effort to do it, I did a fear of flying course, I was desperate to be successful as a foreign correspondent. And I mean, hello, who can be a foreign correspondent and be afraid of flying? I mean, duh. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things in the book I reveal that I was spoken to about the Moscow posting and I turned it down because I was afraid of flying Aeroflot and I never told the bosses that because I thought what, what kind of serious journalist says no to a foreign posting because they're afraid of flying? And I thought, you know what, if I'm ever going to admit this, I may as well admit it now. So I write about that in the book. But then what happened, and this is the exciting part, right, is that I got over the fear of flying. It took me a while, but I got over it. And then, wow, that is like just a new world opens up because you realise that if you can get over the worst thing that's ever happened to you that was just basically tearing my life apart, my husband at the time had said to me, we can't go on like this. 
with the fear of flying. It would just dominated everything. On the morning of our honeymoon, we're at the airport and I'm sobbing, saying to him, how could you do this to me? How could you fly me to Greece for our honeymoon? I mean, I wanted to cancel the honeymoon. Yeah. I was beside myself. But you get once you get over a fear, once you conquer a fear, then you feel like anything is possible, that it's just such an empowering feeling. So I feel like my life is, you know, the, the fear of flying part of my life and then afterwards. And that's why I feel like afterwards. I feel like I got over my fear of flying. I was pretty much completely over it by the end of the first posting in the US and then it was like wow bring it on life there's so much that you can do it's I don't know what the word is but the fact that you are obsessed with that or fearful of that obsessed is not the right word but you are living a job that is equally or probably more dangerous yeah so you don't really ever walk away from well, you are now probably, I'm sure the ABC office is quite safe, but in the past, you were um, always putting yourself in situations I where. I it know, was, and just I mean, more likely into it. Like more when likely the, something could happen. Um, oh, totally. Then, then I know. a plane coming down. I know. Yeah. But, you know, it was like when the um, uh, terrorist attack happened on Westminster Bridge and yes a terrorist ran his car into people and killed them and and then stabbed a policeman to death. We saw that from the windows of our office. Well, we didn't see the actual attack happen, but we saw everyone running. And our office manager said, they're shouting out a bomb, a bomb. And I just said, grab the camera, let's go. And down we went because that's what you're trained to do. You know, they don't want, they don't want an overseas correspondent who's going to be saying, Oh, okay. Well, I'll just sit up here I'll and wait. Here. I'll wait for the BBC that. to file on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you just it. you just got to do it. But I'll take the phones. <laughs> <laughs> one of the uh, interesting things that an American friend said to me once, actually, and this is after I'd got over my fear of flying, and I was feeling like I could take on the world. I said to her, "I feel like I um, need another challenge because I feel like I'm just, oh, I'm just." in my comfort zone and it's just too comfortable. And she said to me, Lisa, you are always living out of your comfort zone. You're mm. on the other side of the world doing mm. a tough job. And it made her say that it it was her saying that to me that made me sit back and go, oh, yeah, right, okay, I work crazy hours. I could get a phone call that could send me away from home for periods that you never know. I mean, there was one morning in London, Cheryl, when I got a phone call at about 3am, was the bosses in Sydney, they said that there was an earthquake in Italy and that they thought I might have to go, could I head into the office to do some live crosses? I said, sure. I had a bag packed in the office these days because we were doing Mm. so much sort of leaping onto planes. And my partner said to me, he got up, made me a coffee and he turned on the television and he said, ah, there's only 12 dead. They're not going to send you to Italy for 12 dead. Well, Mm. I rang him from the airport and said, I'm on my way to Italy, there's 300 dead, and I didn't come home for a week and a half. Mm. So that kind of living constantly with, you're constantly alert. I think that is the way to say it. Constantly on. I mean, that really defies, you know, all this well-being conversation that's happening now and, you know, how we're meant to look after ourselves first. Your life is completely or was completely anti that. You were living on the edge almost but I did all of the things, time. I did things to make things feel normal when I could. 
Like um, Like here is an example. Please don't laugh at me. When, <laughs> when we're in Istanbul Airport, we're flying home to London, the cameraman and I have just covered another terrorist attack and we're waiting for the customs guy to approve us taking our cameras back out of the country. And I'm pushing the trolley up and down outside the departures thing. And my cameraman said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm trying to get my steps up on my Fitbit. (laughs) Now, I think that is a sign of just Whenever you could make yourself feel normal, what mm. normal people do. I just covered a terrorist attack where 30 people had been killed in a nightclub on New Year's Eve. So I'd got the phone call at 2 a.m. on New Year's Day and we were on a plane at 6 a.m. on New Year's Day from London to Istanbul and yet here I am at the airport thinking that I can make my life normal by getting my steps up. Mm. But there was a camera, another cameraman from the commercial networks who was there who the buffet at this Istanbul hotel was just Turkish delight forever and he yeah. was sitting there with his jar of Vegemite <laughs> that he carried with him everywhere yeah. and that was it's his way of making things feel mm. normal. Mm. Whenever I was home in London, I would always try and do Park Run, which is mm. a community event every Saturday morning everywhere around the world. What else would I do? I took up yoga, tried to take up yoga. <laughs> yeah, I, could I did try to put things into my life to make it a bit more normal, but I totally accept that the years I was in London when it was just one terrorist attack after another mm. was unlike any other time that I had ever worked. Mm. Have you ever been frozen with fear in your job? Okay, so this that's an interesting question because when I just described about rushing downstairs because we thought there was a bomb at Westminster Bridge, the cameraman actually reminded me later when I was writing this book, he said, you stopped for a minute and applied lipstick. And he said, I thought it was really odd because your hands were shaking. Oh, and, wow. I, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I think I didn't really need lipstick, but I needed to do something that was going to make me feel normal for 10 seconds and then we raced downstairs. So when you talk about frozen with fear, Mm. I mean, I've been frozen with fear about the flying. I mean, that is a definite thing, but I always got on that plane, but I got so frozen with fear sometimes that I could barely put my legs, I could barely make the form to sit in a seat because I was so locked solid by the fear. Mm. So what made you come home? Oh, well, it was the end of my posting. Mm-hmm. So it's a three-year posting in the UK. So my time was up. I had been planning on coming home anyway because we'd lost dad while I was overseas mm. and we're a pretty tight family and I wanted to be home to try and spend some time with mum. Mm. And sadly, 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 she died on my last day in the office in London. So so I was booked to come home and I didn't make it. But it was time to get back to Australia. It was time to reintroduce myself to my 11 nieces and nephews and 13 great nieces and great nephews. That's how big the Miller clan is. We've just had our 10th great. Oh, I just think it's fantastic. I love a big family. I don't have children of my own Mm, and I think that's, you know, been a product of the life that I've led. I don't have any regrets. You know, I've got a couple of of marriages, well, one marriage and another relationship that fell victim as well to um, the ambition and the life. But 
I'm still friends with both of them, so I'll take that as a tick. Yeah. You landed such a great job at the ABC, didn't you? What a fluke, though. (laughs) I was going home to Queensland because that's where all the family are. So I went home to Queensland and then um, Virginia Trioli was hosting News Breakfast and Mm -hmm. she wanted to take a little bit of time off. And so they asked if I would come down and fill in. So I did and it was good fun, but then I headed back to Queensland. I had no intention of moving to Melbourne. I'd never lived here before and then Virginia decided she was, well, she got offered a great job on radio replacing John Fain and so they asked if I would come down permanently. Mm. And so I did. And it's great because Michael Rowland is an old friend from oh, wow. Canberra yeah. days. So he and I met in 1994 when we were junior reporters in Canberra. So imagine this. Okay, I have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I, that's brutal. There is yeah. no, nothing getting away from that. I bet you that's why Virginia's <laughs> doing afternoon radio. <laughs> And then the minute I walk in the door, I'm surrounded by the most awesome people, Mm. the team, the producers, the studio staff, the floor manager, Joe. He and I have a little sing-along every morning before we go live to air. And I've got Michael sitting beside me who's a friend and who is never going to let me fall. Mm. And that is the most awesome way. To, yeah, to you work. really, it has a nice feel, that show. I really, really like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love you on it. I, well, I oh, love you both, thanks. actually. Thanks, um, Cheryl. Lisa, I think we're out of time. Oh, I mean, no. yeah, I know. We um, only just got started. It's <laughs> been so much fun chatting to you. <laughs> it is. The book is called Daring to Fly. Thank you for your honesty. I've really learned so much about you. And thank you so much for your time because I know how busy you are. Well, thanks for chatting. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.